Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's another lovely Sunday here on KMZN. You're listening to Oops, I Missed Church, and I've got with me a brand new guest, the one and only Richard Jenner. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, Richard. How Hello. are you? That's awesome. Awesome. It's awesome to be here. It really is. Have you ever been on the radio? Uh... Not really, no. No, I, I, only once, only once. Oh, tell me I, about I it. I used to be a, uh, a flood management engineer Whoa. in a controversial uh, situation in, in Newcastle, in, in um, just north of Sydney. And, yeah, I was, I was, what do you call it when somebody interviews you without asking? Someone ran up to me from a radio station to get a controversial opinion about a, uh, a wetlands I was managing. Oh, so wow. Was, yeah, it was... Oh, that was very brief. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first real time. Nice. Oh, fun. And you've yeah. never been to the States yet, right? No, no. I want to. I want well, to like everybody else. Your voice will be there. Yes. Oh, that's great. <laughs> right in the middle. <laughs> that's so fun. Um, okay. So you also have your own podcast. Yes. I'm trying to remember the name of it off the top. I've listened to a couple episodes, but remind us the name and tell us a little about it. Okay, it, it's called Reach, and yeah. uh, if you search Reach Space WEC, W-E-C, you'll, you'll find it. Uh, what's it about? It's a little bit like yours. My, my desire was to have a, a podcast that has people who are sharing their faith on it, mm-hmm. and just to hear their story, first of all, rather than to hear what they're doing or what their ministry was or whatever, yeah. but to hear the backstory of how they came to faith and how they genuinely have a faith. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how did that happen? Because <laughs> that's, yeah. ama- that's an amazing thing. Right, and so unique to every person. Yeah, and I, I sort of, people said to me, oh, there's some great things you can report about what people are doing. And it, it didn't excite me as much as wanting to hear about the person's story. Yeah, and just who they are. Yeah, because, I don't know, who you are lasts a lot longer than, than what you do, mm. I think. Yeah. yeah, just like the idea of legacy yes, and things like that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a practice. Have you heard of Donald Miller? No, I haven't. He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz, and okay. I read it when I was in eighth grade, and it was super formative for me in just kind of exploring my own faith. And he wrote another book all about the four characters in a story, the hero, the guide, the villain, and the victim. Okay. And one of his practices that he talked about was writing your eulogy and reading okay. through it every single day. Wow. And I think in that same, it ties in yes. with that legacy idea. Yep. Oh, and well, I remember someone said to me once, uh, a guy called Richard Hibbert, actually, who was, he's passed on, and he was a fellow worker. And we were just walking down the street, and he was well known, you know, he was well-respected in, in ministry world and, and well-known. But he said, you know, we won't leave much behind, maybe a little bit of character. Mm. And I thought, it really hit me. I thought, wow, is that all I can leave behind, a little <laughs> bit of character? Right. He, he left a big bit of character behind. But mm. um, I thought, yeah, he's probably right. <laughs> yeah, we definitely care about a lot of the wrong things, yes. I think, while we're alive thinking that it's going to be, yeah, I don't know, just in all the materials and things that we possess and yeah. such a hyper-consuming culture. Yes, yes. It's like, where's all your stuff going to go? Oh, 
We got a phone call. No worries. It's okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. It is relaxed. <laughs> do, do you need to take it? Oh, no, no, no. No, okay. it's fine. It's fine. Awesome. Yep. So I'm curious about that story for you. I'd love to hear about your journey to faith. How long have you been with WEC? Oh, that's a... I always... Yeah. I Now, let me think. Um the way I calculate that is I think how old my daughter is, Renee. She's, yeah. And I can't remember that either. <laughs> Sorry, Renee. She was born in 95 and uh, my wife was pregnant with her when we were joining. So since 1995, uh, so probably 96. 28? Yeah, about 28 years, which is a long okay. time. We, yeah. never, we never thought we would be here this long. Oh, okay. And when did you, when did you come to know Jesus? When I was uh, my sort of my last year of university, I went to New- University of Newcastle and did engineering. Uh, so that's yeah, when I was about twenty-one. Okay. Yeah. And what kind of en- was it? Civil engineering. Yes. Yes. That's what my dad went to college well, for. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. But yeah. he didn't stick with it. He didn't. Did, he? he ended up running a hardware store and lumberyard instead. Uh, he's probably happier. Yeah, he enjoyed <laughs> that more. I think. I think most people don't know what they're going to do. Some who say they know, I think they get lucky. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it's kind of fun to figure it out along the way too. Yeah. But even at my age, I'm thinking, oh, I'm still thinking. <laughs> yeah, right. So were you raised in a Christian home? Uh, fairly nominal in Christianity. Okay. Yeah. So there was no, yeah, no presentation of faith. Um so, so I'm pretty sure mum had a faith, dad not really. Um, so, yeah, my, my Christian input it was, yeah, pretty close to zero, I suppose. Hmm. So I had no real God knowledge um, before I went to university. I, that, that question whether there was a God wasn't really a question in my head. Hmm. So I, I, I don't know what sort of person you call that. It's not an atheist because I hadn't chosen More to. More agnostic kind of? Yeah. Of just... I heard a new word the other day, um, an apatheist. Oh, interesting. Which is someone who is, as most Australians, I think, uh, you, you haven't even bothered to think about whether there's a God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I suppose that was me. <laughs> I know when Rupa came to the States, she was surprised by how many Christian things she saw all over the place. Really? Because, I mean, you'll see cars driving around with big Mother Mary stickers on the back. And really, just tons of crosses everywhere, tons of billboards that say, "Do you know where you're going when you die?" and stuff like that. Okay. And she was just really surprised by that because it does seem to be a much more secular society over here. Yes. As far as it's interesting though, when I look at that myself, and if I was there, I'd be going, "Don't they realize that everybody has already seen those billboards?" Uh, like, it seems really weird. Yeah. A weird way of presenting faith, I suppose. Yeah. yeah it's almost a little bit scary to me. Well, and it, <laughs> I think a lot of it ties into the sort of the mega church culture yeah. of how much institutionalized Christianity has become seemingly almost more like a business it's than a faith. It's almost like a virtue, isn't it? Like to have a Christian face is a virtue, mm. um, a Christian form, and uh, which isn't 
real for me isn't right. real faith. It's, it's not knowing God. It's just it's uh, more of a facade. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why I suppose that's why it's a little bit scary to me. Yeah. Um, not 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 trying not to judge at all. I mean, I think people's motivations are usually good, um, but yeah, and we do that here too. You see those mm-hmm. a little bit those things here. I think it'd be interesting to see the statistics on how many calls they've gotten because there's a lot of them that are just a one eight hundred number where you can call and like one eight hundred the truth or something, and. I had a friend who said he did it once and had a really nice conversation with the guy just about theology and faith and what yep. he believed. And Yeah, so most people are genuine. Right. So I think most of the people on the other end of the line are genuine. It's just a way for them to kind yes. of evangelize, even, I guess. Even if you're caught up in religiosity of faith, if you put it that way, like you're being a bit over-religious, um, even if you talk to someone like that, if you get down to it, they're usually genuine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you, and we've all been there, I think, being over caught up in, uh, over focused, I suppose, thinking that we have the, oh, I don't know, I don't know how to say it. Uh, we we have, I do believe we have the truth, um, but not not being prepared to listen to others and their own journeys about yeah, their their growth in the truth, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really When I was speaking with Mike last week, he worked with the persecuted church a lot and yes. spent time in the Middle East and different things. And he said he spoke to a guy who had been a street preacher over there. Okay. And he talked to him about evangelism and discipleship and how our whole idea of evangelism in the western church has been much more about the sinner's prayer and, you know, sort of checking the boxes to then now you're a Christian. And he said it was more like a wall between you and the non-believer, and each brick in the wall was a question. And so by asking them questions and getting to know them and building relationship, you slowly take the wall down. Okay, And it's more of an ongoing thing rather than this one night encounter that your whole life has changed, you know? That's, I think, yeah, that brick analogy is a lot better, actually. Yeah, I liked it a lot. And if you ask most people, that's how it happened with them. For me, there was a few bricks that got taken away. And and if you think of the New Testament, that's how it happened too, in many ways. Like, Mm. uh, yeah, if you think of the Jewish people, they already had the Old Testament stories. So they already had a, they call it, you know, like a pre-evangelism, if you like. Right. Um, where most people don't, do they? They don't. Yeah. They haven't got that sense of God throughout history. <laughs> right. And I think <laughs> that's something too in growing up Christian when you go to Bible, you know, like kids' church every Sunday as a child and you get such a familiarity with all the Bible stories and different things. Yes. It's easy to forget that so much of the world did not have that. Yeah. And the whole person yep. of Jesus is not even really something they've ever considered or thought about yeah, because true. it just seems like, oh, I guess it's a historical figure, you know, where they don't see it as this more relational thing or, you yeah. know, life-changing yeah, it truth. It doesn't come from... Yeah, yeah, faith comes from a, a pool of stories, doesn't 
Mm. You're looking looking at just thinking of the Bible. It's just full of stories. Right. Um, I often think of Revelation is the reporting of stories. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's the writing down of things that happened. Right. Which are all stories. Yeah. Mostly, uh, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, I think and, it's so cool. The power of story. I often think about that. That uh, our, our lives are molded by the stories we hear, especially when we're young, mm. whether it's biblical stories or stories, you know, folk stories or stories on movies. Yeah. Often our our morals or our you know our yeah what yeah, we who whole we perspective, are yeah. yeah is based on those things that have been revealed to us. Mm. Can you think of a story that? you were told as a child that's impacted you <laughs> oh that's really hard or shaped you in some way oh that's that's so hard to think of yeah that's quickly. pretty broad no yeah because they're not biblical stories they'd be i mean even the story of you think of uh robin hood right or king arthur yeah. you know robin hood you, you steal from the rich and give to the poor and, and the rich have got their gain in in immoral ways you know right. so it was right to steal from the rich um <laughs> so it gives you a sense of social justice mm. that really stays with you i think those stories are powerful yeah to to um yeah to remember the poor absolutely who, who are really um uh we forget quickly how awful it is to not have power as mm. in if you don't have if you could call it money or means, to, to get out of difficult situations. You don't have power, and that's really hard, especially if you have, you know, a, a family you need to feed or, or sick people. Yeah. So, I think yeah, it did affect, yeah, those stories affect you. Definitely. And there is a, such a huge disconnect, I feel, in so much of the Western world because of how, I don't know, comfortable life can be. You know, at least in America, I felt yes. I was so fortunate and privileged in so many ways growing up because we never struggled to put food on the table or, yeah, you yeah, know, we there didn't was either. never that. I, I think that sense of, uh, what do you call it, entitlement or privilege, whatever you call it, is, is it is still growing, which is really weird. Yeah. People talk about that a lot, but in the end, we love stuff. Right. That's the thing. <laughs> we, yeah. In the end, we love stuff. We, yeah. like, we like to enjoy life. Oh, yeah, and the convenience and comfort. Yeah, and we're basically selfish, so we just, yeah. <laughs> why not? Right. <laughs> yeah. It's so, much easier to talk about than actually get rid of all your things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you see older people, they talk about young people and their sense of entitlement or whatever. But I look at it, anyone, anyone, you know, my age, you know, the whole cruise mentality, you know, I'm mm. entitled to go on two cruises this year or something. <laughs> it's it's there everywhere. Yeah. We all love stuff. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> we, I do. And thinking that we've, a... we've worked so hard so we deserve it. Yeah. You know? And then you've got the other side that you actually don't need much to enjoy life. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, what do you want for Christmas? I go, well... You don't need anything. Yeah, right? <laughs> I can't think of anything that I actually need. Yeah. But so, yeah, I do appreciate the way that it becomes more, you can become more aware of the value of experiences and actual quality time with people you love. Yeah. You know, more than 
just material things. It's what you remember, isn't it? Like, what yeah. did you get for Christmas last year? I can't remember. But right. what experiences have you had? Mm-hmm. You remember. It's so true, isn't it? It's a, Yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. trying to think. We've, we briefly met in London. We did. That was weird. Yeah, in, in, uh, in August <laughs> we, of 2022. That's right. I was on a bike. Uh, How long have you been riding bike? Uh, oh. Well, probably since childhood. But <laughs> <laughs> I think I was about 12 years old and yeah. I got my first bike, something like that. Uh, so on and off, I've always... But like, you're a pretty avid cycler, right? Yeah, I hesitate to call myself a cyclist um, because I'm not fast. And I, I realized one day, why do I do this? <laughs> I thought, oh, I'm just doing it because I enjoy being out in the world and seeing things and being free, I suppose. Yeah. And so, you know, the, you know, I wear Lycra sometimes, but the Lycra, Lycra Brigade, do you, do you have that? or the? Uh, I think so. It might be a different name. Yeah, Lycra is the like material they... stretchy pants and yeah, stuff, and, right? Yeah, they pass me. <laughs> and uh, I think, oh, I don't really want to keep up with people. Yeah. I just want to enjoy being out on a bike. So, I, But I, I ride distances sometimes, you know, like... Mm. And I've ridden a few uh, long distance journeys. What's uh, the longest? The longest was when I met you had just finished in London. I rode from Budapest to London. Wow. So we did 2,700 kilometres. Oh, my goodness. Just visiting people. And, it, and again, it was actually back to the whole idea of the podcast. Was uh, It was it was a bit of a ministry thing. We visited a lot of uh, missionaries, cross-cultural mm. workers, but we also stayed with uh, many people who didn't know Christ in um, there's a there's a network called Warm Showers, which is uh, you can it's a bit like couch surfing if you know what that is. Oh yeah, but it's only for cyclists. Oh, interesting. And so that you can there's a little app, and I can see where to stay that night. People put you up. You know, I'm a Warm Showers host in Sydney. Oh, cool. So we just got to meet a lot of really groovy people. Yeah, which was so good. And I did a, we did a lot of interviews on video, and uh, which is on our, our WAC YouTube channel, the Australian one. And I was just interested in hearing people's stories. Mm. That same author that I mentioned, Donald Miller, he wrote a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Yes. And he talks about a bike ride that he took across the U.S., uh-huh. With a bunch of friends. I need to get it. it. Yeah, I think I need, you'd like it. Because <laughs> that's one of my dreams. Yeah. <laughs> no, you'd, I think you'd people, love riding bikes. Do you want to come to the US? I say, now, how do I go from east to west? You know? Right. You know, and there seems to be some pretty amazing places to go. Oh, yeah. I could show you some really great roads. Well, I'm going to talk to you. Yeah. And, and But what excites me about going to the US is. Yeah, stopping at a. Do you call it a diner? Uh, yeah, it sounds very ignorant, doesn't it? No, uh, you're good. And you know, I want to sit there and just have someone come up and give me a, you know, get one of those coffee big jugs of coffee, and you get some eggs and whatever you get. Yeah, just like the movies, you know. Oh man, I could show you some of the best diners. And just just do that. All the and si- most of them are open twenty four hours. Yeah, that's the one thing I want to do. Isn't that yeah. crazy? No, that's good. And just talk to people. It's so fun. that That's something I really miss because I yeah. feel 
I've heard of Pancake on the Rocks. Pancakes on the Rocks. That's a diner here. Yeah. Diner-like. Sort of. But yes. I think it's probably yeah. fancier. I feel most yes. of the most of the food establishments here in Sydney are pretty well put together, you know, or yeah. like not fancy necessarily, but they're just nice, nice yeah, places. Yeah. And in America, there's almost like a shamelessness to the griminess. You yes, know, yes, that's growing here. So many of our diners. Yeah, I love that. You'd think you could get a disease just by going in. Yeah, but okay, excellent. They're so fun. And I just love how non-judgmental they are. Well, that's very, uh, we use the word egalitarian. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know that one. Uh, it's People take pride in Australian culture that we're egalitarian, which I mm. think means that we're all equal. Um, and we, we look at ourselves as equals. Yeah. And, and so how do you explain it? Like if the Prime Minister of Australia walked in, we, um, we'd, we'd say, you know, his name's uh, Anthony Albanese. We'd, we'd be on first names pretty well straight away. Yeah. Where not many nations would do that. Right. So we, we see each other as approachable, equal, mm-hmm. but I don't know if that's actually true. There is, a, of course, there's a hierarchy in every society. But that's the nice thing, I suppose, about a diner, I can imagine. Yeah. It is a very welcoming sort yep. of, doesn't matter who you are or where you came from. Yeah. There's no judgment here, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Sounds like it's a church. It it should, exactly, it yeah. A church. <laughs> no, I make that joke a lot because I think yeah. my favorite restaurant is Waffle House. Okay. And they're all over in the South mostly. Yeah. But they're, each every single one of them is the exact same. Okay. And they've all got a jukebox and they've all got, you know, a waitress with a raspy voice that'll call you sweetheart. Oh, lovely, and, lovely. And just very, <laughs> it's a very funny place. But I love it because they literally never close. They're open at every single holiday. They use Waffle House as a gauge when hurricanes are coming. Oh, to see when they're open. Because if yeah. if a hurricane is really bad, yes. Waffle House will close. Okay, which and is that's, unheard of. Yeah, that's usually like, okay, we should evacuate. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I've got to go. It's on my list. Yeah. It's well, on my list. Yeah. I'd love to show you around the States. Yes. It'd be fun. Um, so can you tell me a little about WEC? For our listeners, because you've been with it for 28 yep. years. What does it stand for again? Uh, worldwide, worldwide Evangelization for Christ. Uh, we call ourselves WI now, just for short. Oh, okay. Because it's such a mouthful. Hmm. So it's it was started in uh, 1913 by a guy called C.T. Studd. He's, he's known as C.T. because he used to be a cricketer. Oh, okay. And if, if you know cricket... I'm sure all your listeners know cricket. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a scoreboard and up on the scoreboard are all the players' names and they'll have their their initials and then their last name. So he was known as CT. Okay. So that's often how cricketers get a, uh, you know, their, their nickname or whatever. Hmm. But he actually started as a very wealthy person. He, he was part of a very wealthy family in, in England uh, you can look him up and get the whole story. But he became a believer one day, I think under Moody, who was an evangelist oh, yeah. in England. He's got a whole Bible college in Chicago. And he became a quite, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Stud actually, like he was very wealthy. He gave away a lot of his money and a lot of that went to the establishment of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, and wow. to, to others, uh, Mueller 
and uh, quite a few. So he was quite a radical Christian, if you like, probably mm. too radical. <laughs> There's the joke that, that he probably wouldn't be led into WEC if he signed up today because <laughs> he was a bit, of a bit of a pioneer. Oh, nice. I'm sure he would. But So, you know, that sort of one-minded, focused individual. So he, he, um, he actually played in the uh, probably the most famous cricket test between England and Australia. A test is a, a long cricket match for mm. five days. And he, he played in the Ashes cr- cricket test. Um, and if you know the Ashes, do you know the Ashes? I don't. Well, when England first played Australia, or one of the first times, wasn't the first time, but the first time Australia beat England, you know, mm. the, those convict convicts from <laughs> underneath the globe. Right. I think it was late 1800s. Uh, when, when Australia first beat them, that was a, you know, Quite a shameful thing. So <laughs> the English, some of the English players burnt, I think, part of the stumps or the bales and made some ashes and put them in a little urn and that became known as the Ashes, which is the trophy that Australia and England play for every few years. Oh, wow. And Stud played in, in, that, in that game. His name is one of three on, on the urn. So he's very famous. But mm. he gave that all up to, to serve the Lord. Wow. And... His heart was for what's known as an unreached people group. Okay. So I think in the world there are, uh, I, I'm getting my figures wrong. You can look it up. That's okay. You know, there's about, I don't know, I should know this, 15,000 or so individual people groups in the world. Mm. And that's people separated by language or culture or geography. Okay. So you know how you normally think of a nation? Yeah. Like... Australia, US, Canada. Right. But if you think the Bible often thinks of a nation as an ethnicity, like an ethnos. Mm. So within one nation, like in, in uh, India, there might be a, over a 1,000 or so. Right. It could be 3,000 different, you know, languages. Yeah. It's just so wild. It is. As when a, you come from the Western world. Yeah. We, these egalitarian societies. Yeah. It's the same in Australia now. We, we're learning to call our First Nations people... Um, traditionally known as Aborigines, like learning all the different nations that were here, not mm. just the one nation. Right. Uh, because they were different. Yeah. Yeah, which, which is awesome. the same in America, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really good. So his heart was to go to those nations that had no witness of, of Christ. Mm. And so he went to the Congo, first of all, into the middle of Africa. Wow. But his heart was for the whole world. And that grew into the mission today. So our, our mission focuses on going to groups of people that don't have a sustainable church. Hmm. So that's where our heart is, I suppose. And um, do you plant churches? Yeah, that, that's the main way. Um, okay. Yeah. So we establish a faith community if we can. Okay, uh, cool. Yeah, that's, that's difficult. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> a hard thing to do. Right, especially in... Places where it's not as, you know, yeah, religious accessible. diversity isn't yeah. as accepted. and Yeah. And most people have their own religion. Uh, right, whether they realize it or not. Yeah, most do, I think. Yeah. You know, whether it's Islamic or Hindu or, or Buddhist. I, I think I, if you look at, uh, what would you call it, mission history, places where it was more animistic, where, where religion was less formed mm. and structured... I think they've accepted other faiths more readily. Okay. But if you go to places where people have an established faith, 
Right. It's been there for centuries. Yeah. Centuries, maybe even millennia. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, their faith is, is structured. It's formed the basis of their culture. It's their identity. Yeah. So, so why would they give it up? Right. You know, there's got to... So, but that it can, it does happen and can happen, and mm-hmm. so yeah, that's that's mainly where we would work. And you have gone on a number of trips with WEC. Yes, in the last twenty-eight years, <laughs> that's you a long went, time. <laughs> you went to one just recently. Can you tell us about your most recent trip? Yeah, yeah, that was a really, really fantastic. Um, I could talk all day about the Balkans. Actually, uh, I, I for. Listeners in America that might not be familiar yes. with the Balkans. Yes. What are they? <laughs> yeah. Can you clarify? <laughs> Europe. Think Europe. Think Greece. Okay. Most people sort of know where Greece is. Yeah. Um, is Albania considered part of the Balkans? Yes, it is. The Balkans, well, it's, it's got several definitions. A good definition would be if you think of Greece and the bunch of countries above Greece, that come out, there's a sort of a peninsula or a bit that sticks out into the Mediterranean. Right. And it, it includes uh, Greece, then Albania. And above that, you've got some Slavic countries. So their, their language has a Slavic base. Okay. Um, which would be uh, North Macedonia, Kosovo, Serbia, Montenegro, uh, up into Croatia, around there. Some include Romania. So that, that group of countries. Okay. Yeah. And we're though there's a pretty wild history with all those countries, oh, very, right? Very much so. Where because uh, Albania is not that old, right? When was it? I'm not sure when it was formed. Uh, it, it's well, it's been around for, for a long time, right? You know, the the people group that is there now has been there for I think at least a thousand years. I'm not quite sure. That's something to look up, but. It's uh, it, its history is very complicated because of lots of smaller groups moving, and you've had lots of empires mm. that have controlled that region. Uh, you've got the uh, what was it the Aust- Austrian Hungary Empire? I've got that name wrong. Even before that, then you had the Ottomans take over, uh, and then you've had after the Ottomans and the fall of the Ottoman Empire from. This, the First World War, we had, uh, you know, the, the communist influence coming down through that area and also Chinese had an influence in Albania. And then you had a, a regime takeover uh, Albania. So it's so complicated. Yeah. And in the mix of that, you have the, own, the, the groups with their own internal conflicts and also religion comes into it too mm. because you've got Islam in many of those countries but also... Uh, Orthodox Christianity and also a Catholic Christianity. Right. You know, they don't get along. Yeah, uh, which is frustrating. <laughs> so you both believe in the resurrection, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I wish they could come to terms on that. Yes. It's, realize yeah, the need, other stuff is as important. Make, we need to make faith simple, don't we? Yeah. And... Uh, Get over ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I think there's so many preferential things that end up just distracting. And yeah, so I suppose when you look at those places, nominal, uh, you know, commitment to an, a nominal faith has caused lots of pain. Mm. Yeah, 
And especially when it's so tied with the state yes. that's in charge. I listened to a podcast recently of a conversation that a guy had with the crown prince of Iran. Okay. And it, so it was the son of the Shah back yes. in the 70s. And it was just really interesting to hear him talk about sort of the state of Iran today and how, yeah, the the people seem so ready to depart from the regime that's in charge right now. Okay. And the way that the religion, it's become such a theocracy that it's, you know, it's compl- it's destroyed so many human rights and freedoms and different yes. things. And so the people in general are rejecting the, the regime, but are they rejecting the uh, the faith as well or just... That's the thing. I don't, don't think know. so. But yeah. I think because they consider the regime's okay. version of the faith yes. so much more yes. extremist. Okay, you know? so they're wanting to get away from that. Yeah, it seems to be. At least just with last year, all the protests that were going on. And yeah, and that, that, that takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Yeah. I thought people must have really strong feeling to risk life and right. risk not just life but their welfare as in... You know, they could be seen and lose their job or whatever. Yeah, just the social status, different things. Yeah, so there must be a lot of strong feeling. Yeah. I, I often admire their courage. Oh, me too. <laughs> I'd be saying to my children, don't get involved in protests. Let the crazy people do it. Right. But <laughs> we'll get the benefit. Yeah, I see. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and I think that's something... Yeah, where it's it feels like things are getting better as far as people being made more aware yeah. of what is going on around the world, you know, but it's so tough in these western in the western world to just kind of eh my life's fine, you know, and not really yes. think about it or consider it and yeah. it's more that sort of privilege and convenience. <laughs> Well, that, that, yeah, that, that keeps us just, just loving the status quo, I suppose. Yeah. I think most people do when things are comfortable. You, oh, yeah. Yeah, you see things. You see protests in Australia sometimes, and I, yeah, there, there are, is that element. But I think if we're a fairly stable, nice country, I use that word <laughs> sparingly nice, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, no, it's no wonder when somewhere is not, uh, is struggling or not liking its government, or under oppression. It's no wonder people rise up. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah. we forget how fortunate we are, yeah. you know, to have, have governments have. that actually yeah. allow yeah. democratic voting and things, you know. Yes. But there's been such a huge loss of trust, at least in America. There's been... In, in poly- political just, systems? Yeah, or? just in political systems and in politicians in general i think it's felt so sort of run amok by yes. becoming so involved with corporations yes and so money driven that it's hard for people to feel hopeful yeah about I'm, the state of things yeah since that here too maybe it's more in the states i think i'm um, i think i am seeing more politicians there seems to be more personal gain or something or personal agenda coming mm. into it rather than a genuine desire to serve. Yeah. I don't know if that's true, but just an observation. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's pretty spot on because yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. Just maybe this, it's always been there. <laughs> just the way power corrupts. I think that's a pretty age-old truth. Yes. Yeah. Power seems, is an amazing thing, isn't it? Yeah. I I don't understand it. <laughs> yeah. No. I. The more I see what it does to people, the more I think I don't want that. You know. Yes. There's the selfish part of me that thinks, of course, I want that. You know, because. You think it's something I want it special. without the cost, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah <so>. right. <laughs> Just none of the sacrifice, please. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah keep, keep that away from me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Well, so. cool. So you—that was your most recent trip to the Balkans. How long were you there? Uh, two and a half weeks. Okay. And can yeah. you walk us through kind of what that looked like, and yeah, sure. when you go on these trips, sort of what the motive is? Yeah, what the motive is, uh, the, the main motive for me is to take a group of young people who are exploring what it's like to be a cross-cultural worker, which is the word often we use for a missionary. Mm. Um, and so my desire is that people come, uh, we call it a mission trip, but in reality we're, we're not helping that much, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. The main benefit is to those going and my desire is, is we, you know, we had a group of, I think it was eight of us on a, on a bus traveling around four countries that as we go, we, we read the scriptures together. We pray together. We visit missionaries and hear their stories. We participate in, in what they're doing. Mm. So we either go to church with them or, uh, there's a few places we worked with Roma people, uh, Roma were traditionally known as, as gypsy, if you like, but okay. that, that's not a good term. So we uh, did some stuff with them, like kids' work, you know, youth ministry with balloon animals and nice. music and all sorts of things. Uh, that was lots of fun. And so engaging with communities who largely don't have a church, mm. and I, I think my desire is to see those young people that are there Understanding what it is to see people who don't have the faith they have, but also get a heart for them. Mm. And I don't think you can get that from a book. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm someone who loves statistics, but most people don't, you know. <laughs> right. So when I say, you know, I don't know, zero point one percent of these this country aren't, aren't Christians. Mm-hmm. People don't care. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> most people aren't like me. But if you take them there. Yeah, and get to actually see it and, and experience. Sit, and just sit with people mm. and be with the people. It, it has a, a it has a life-changing effect. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, there's so much power in that. And I always think of the... the trip that we took as a family we used to go to mexico just because my parents wanted that implemented in us yes. with our faith to realize yes. this faith should compel you to to do something. serve and share yep. you know yep and that was so formative in me i felt just by being in mexico with all of these orphans yep. and seeing it's extremely isn't it yeah just how much how different life was down there compared to what I was used to yeah. and realizing and seeing their humanity. It's forming you know? the story in your life. And you were talking about story before that yeah. story sticks with you. Right. And it's very powerful. Yeah. You, you can't get rid of it. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I think 
So yeah, giving that positive experience and uh, letting people know that they can make a difference mm-hmm. and they have a responsibility to make a difference. Yeah. And it so often is not what we imagine, I think, oh, where never, never. we think of it as being, I don't I think the term white saviors yeah. <laughs> thrown around, you know? Yep. And it's, I've heard a lot of non-Christians really hate on Christian missionaries because they think they're just going to try and yeah, well, change they, cultures or gentrify or, you know, and I... I think they probably don't know many missionaries. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I know lots, yeah. you know, like hundreds, and I can't think of one like that. Yeah. And, and most of them actually now aren't white. As right, in, yeah. White's such a dumb term anyhow, isn't it? Like, <laughs> as in, it's such a shaded... Well, it's so limiting, I think, or just oh, to make yeah. oh. to to put anybody just into their category because of their skin colors. It's crazy. That's racist. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I mean, we're all racist. Let's face it. You know, we all make judgments and put each other in boxes, and which is terrible. Well, yeah, we're such tribal creatures. Yes, and we don't realize we've got to get out of it. Yeah. But it, where were we? Yeah, most most missionaries I know really aren't. Uh, they know that you can't impose a faith. Right. You just yeah. can't. It just doesn't work that way. And, just, and no one was ever convinced of anything by arguing or no. forcing. And so most people I know just go there and drink coffee with people or be with people or help as they can and share their own story. Right. And And, and study the word. And if that works... It works. Right. But yeah, and it's not like they're gaining much apart from friendships no. and relationships, you no. know, because I think, yeah. yeah, with the whole, the like, prosperity gospel and big mega churches and things where churches have felt more like a business, yes. I think it's convinced a lot of Christians into thinking, oh, if I become a Christian, God will make me rich and I'll have everything I could ever want. And that's so different than what Jesus yeah, talked about. <laughs> it's actually pretty much the opposite, isn't right? It? Like, there's a good chance you're going to be poor. Um, you know, to be be content in 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 what is it? Paul say, and you know, with riches and with poverty. I can't remember the actual verse, but um, yeah, it's almost the opposite. Uh, yeah, uh, and I yeah, I'm starting to realize that yeah, our faith is not to uh, it's to overcome in ourselves. It's not sometimes not to overcome the circumstance, but mm. the circumstance may not change. Yeah, but but to be content and to be joyful in whatever. Uh, yeah, it's it's so different. I think what I don't like about the pro, even prosperity gospel is a generalization, such a weird thing to say. What I don't like about it is. It, it clouds what it really does mean to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to know him mm. and have that joy. And yeah, that, despite circumstance. Yeah, it, it takes away from what it really is to to know him. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, And, and that's, that's the most precious thing. And, yeah, if, if, if you've got to make the main thing the main thing. Right. Anyway. Lord That's bless good. them. Lord yeah. bless them. And I think a lot of good comes out of it anyhow. Whatever. Oh, for sure. That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Everything think, is redeemed. Definitely. Nothing's wasted. Yeah. Which I, I think. You can be very immature and just 
criticize everything. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's so easy to be cynical. Yes. <laughs> That's something, too, where I think... We're human. Yeah, right? Yeah, I like to... I try. I think it's so easy for so many Christians to really, who have maybe been hurt by the church or something, to kind of end up just hating the church or organized religion of all forms. Yep. And they're, yeah, I think it's too easy to throw the baby out with the bathwater and kind of yes, just consider it all a flop or worthless when in reality, yes, there's and still so much good. What discipleship is important. From the start, you say to people, like, this is about knowing Christ, not about um, being part of a large structure. Yeah. And yeah. The, and your leaders will fail you sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And I, it sounds bad, but I don't know if I know a good leader, you know? like <laughs> Everybody keeps saying, oh, I wish we had a good leader. He says, well, good luck. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. Good luck finding one without flaws. Well. Yeah. Yeah, yes, it's so true. It's where team leadership is so good, I think. Mm. You really need good yeah. team leadership. Yeah, where that hierarchy sort of spread out rather yeah. than yeah, one It's hard one to find a, vision, the a visionary that's good at member care. You know, they often aren't there. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you got to have some diversity of skill. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Well, we've been talking for about 45 minutes here, wow. Richard. Let's take a little break, and uh, we'll come back for more if that's all right. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. It's the second hour now, and I'm still with Richard Jenner. Richard has a poem for us, and not one of Louis L'Amour or Christian Wyman's. We're getting an original work today. Wonderful. What, what a treat. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. I Go shall ahead. read. This is called Cross Number One. Okay. Because there's another poem called Cross Number yeah. Two. So Cross Number One. The cross is an ocean-going cargo ship filled with many-coloured, weather-beaten containers of pain, a road that journeys through harsh lands, a rocket ship taking death into space, a drop-off point for second-hand clothes, and a key that's turned by walking. The cross, it's a virus taking life to all, an accelerated supernova, an in-your-face reporter, a mystery thriller where the reader kills them all, a dungeon lined with machines of torture, a legal document ratified by godly courts, a sin-blasted monument to my nature's daily drone, and inscribed deep within the wooden frame, son of man, son of God, friend, true friend of mine. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Man, so Richard, you're a teacher. Yes. Is that what you've done since civil... When did you become a teacher? Uh, we came home from Africa, from Cote d'Ivoire in 2000, year 2000. Okay. And uh, I needed a job. <laughs> <laughs> so I just went to a local school and uh, said I need a job. Wow. And I wasn't a teacher. I only had a civil engineering degree. And, they, and so I started teaching at night and got a job straight away. Wow. 
almost by accident. So mm. I was able to become a mathematics teacher fairly easily because of that. But, uh, I mean, I'm fairly good at mathematics, but yeah, if I had my life again, I'd probably do literature or language. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'd, uh, that, yeah, maths is great, but um, yeah. When did that switch happen, do you feel? Because yeah. I remember when I was younger, I was better at maths and yes. felt... I remember in middle school thinking as we were learning how to diagram sentences, yes. I thought, I do not like this. <laughs> yeah. This is not fun to me. And maths made a lot more sense to me. But then when I got to high school, it was like this switch happened where yeah. maths got m way more difficult and not as fun anymore. And I was way more compelled and interested in words and literature and, yes, you know, the... It's, oh. I think maybe it's because I watched Dead Poets Society. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a classic. <laughs> yeah. When did it happen? Uh, I think it's probably always been there and uh, I probably didn't have maturity or confidence to develop that mm. way. Uh, and I was always good at maths. It was just natural. People sort of pointed you in the engineering direction. Right. Which I never liked that much, I suppose. Mm. Uh, yeah, so it, it just developed slowly. Um yeah, but I, I love languages, you know. Yeah. Like uh, we learned French to go to Ivory Coast and Oh, cool. Just just love that. So there is a a love of words. You know, a lot of mathematicians actually are poets as well, if you look at yeah. the litany of uh yeah. Do you have a favorite mathematician? <laughs> Probably not. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know of I'm trying to think of if I know of any off the top of my head. I, I, I don't I know a few, but I don't know if I have a favorite one. Yeah. You could probably throw some names out there. <laughs> yeah, Descartes, you know. Oh, yeah. But uh, probably Pascal. Is it? What's the other name? Louis? Is it Louis Pascal? I think so. Or no, Blaise. Blaise. Louis someone. Blaise. Yeah, Blaise Pascal. You know, the guy who he wrote more about uh, faith than mathematics in the end. Mm. And uh, he's the one who I believe when he, uh, when he got to know God, uh, he talked about fire and I had the night of fire. And I think he actually sewed those words or something into his sleeve so he mm. wouldn't, into his uh, shirt, so he wouldn't forget. Oh, that's cool. So that's, um, yeah, so that's, that's it. It's, yeah. I, I'm curious of thinking about how, because I feel everything ends up pointing towards a loving creator. Okay. In some ways, you know, whether, and so often I think that comes from, like the verse that says, if you seek me, you will find me. Maybe, yeah. Where I'd never thought of that, things, actually, that everything. I think it does. Yeah, But okay. you don't necessarily, you're not necessarily aware of it if you're not looking for it. Yes. So but, if you start looking, whether you're on the train or, I mean, you can see that obviously in creation. I yeah. I, I just, I look at creation now and think it's just so obvious. Right. You me know? too. I look at water and I think, why is it see-through? Right. Yeah. You know, why does it... Um, why is it so vital? <laughs> everything. Yes, there's yeah. about a hundred different qualities of water that we that have to happen for life to exist. And I think, how? Yeah. So beyond creation, though, what other things are there? I suppose people, consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I'm thinking of things like maths. Okay. You know, where there's this... It's like this fabric of truth. Yes. You know, where 
Yep. Numbers point to a certain kind of order. Yep. That makes I, makes just you. randomness seem so impossible to me. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying, and I've I've seen books about this whole thing, and I think Descartes actually was one who said, you know, you, just the maths proves God, but I I don't get there completely. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see the wonder of maths. Things like people who, before stars were observed fully, could calculated the uh, how a star should be. That sounds really weird, but you know mm-hmm. the math. Astronomers often say, "Do the math, and you'll discover what's there." Mm. And then they do the math, and fifty years later, they invent a telescope and discover they worked it out almost properly. Which is which, which is amazing. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh, and I think that's a good place to be, though, too. Yeah. Because I feel sometimes people make an idol out of certainty. You okay. Know, yeah. Or or being so sure of something. Yeah. It's it's wondrous, but I I don't think I could just say the wonder of maths leads leads me to God. Yeah. Yeah. Or even a and, creator, right? In the end, mass is just ratios, you know. It's right. Just one, two, three, four. It's, it's counting. It, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just something that is self evident and does exist. There is one book. There is two books. It's just, and the more you go, just more ratios of, yeah, and, and that gets more complicated. Yeah. So it should it should make sense, and uh, yeah, doesn't anyway. That's cool. Yeah. Um, how long have you been married? Oh, I should know that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what year is it? No. It's 2023. 23, 20, uh, 2023. So that's 33 years. Okay. 34 years coming up. That's a long time. That's great. Yeah. Um, and you've got a daughter who's married. Yep. Renee. You've got two grandbabies. Yes. And you're... Oldest son is just about to get married. Yep, yep, Chris. So, yeah, a former guest. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, super. <laughs> you <laughs> get well. the whole fam. Yeah, yeah. do it. <laughs> um, you're, so you're, this is your first, how old or how long ago did Renee get married? Do you remember that? It's okay if you don't. I can't but remember. You it know, was, yeah, it's like about four or five years. So, okay. Yeah. So that was your daughter getting married as a father how was that experience and now as your son is getting ready to get married (laughs) what are some parallels and differences i suppose we've been there before now so we know what it's like you know right first one gets married um yeah i'm just very thankful that they found wonderful people to marry Mm. yeah and and, um turned out okay you know absolutely yeah they we're very thankful that they they're they're great children to have. Yeah, you know, mm. they've got their problems, um, <laughs> but so they're they're good to be with. They're fun to be with. Oh yeah, people. I love your kids. Yeah, so that we're very thankful for that. And our difference in experience. Um, my daughter had a very uh, organic wedding, I suppose. We we had it where we live mm, in, in a right. big, in a big garden. Oh, in a church, then the reception in a big garden, uh, which was lovely. And Chris is having Chris and Julia are having a, a more formal type wedding, mm-hmm. which is lovely as well. Things are different. 
I think uh, what we're discovering is 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 what it, what is our new life as children gradually leave. And, yeah. You know, a lot of your life is based around your children, mm-hmm. and it keeps you busy. Right. It gives you value and, and worth. So discovering what is our worth again as humans in Christ, and you know what has God got for us now. Uh, and it's that challenge, actually. Like, I think when I first came to faith, you know, there's a big call of, you know, giving your all for Jesus type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And that was easy when you were young. But to do that now, I think is harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We shouldn't let old people get away from it. You know, don't, don't let them off the hook. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think in this new era that, that me and Denise have got, Working out what that path forward is mm. is quite a challenge. Yeah, because it's, I do find, I think for a lot of parents, you sort of, it would be easy to kind of wrap your identity up in and you being see that, mom and dad. Yep. You know? And you see that with um, people when, when their children have children and grandchildren, all of a sudden their identity becomes their grandchildren. And I think, yeah, it's a bit. I feel a bit uncomfortable with that. Yeah. I love it. I love my grandchildren. Right. And, and, you know, would do anything for them, but it's not my identity. Right. The, you're not just a grandpa. And and our children, are, it's their responsibility. They're the main carers, mm-hmm. not us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They've got to work it out. I hear, yeah. I hear being a grandparent is super fun. Oh, yeah, it is. Because you get to enjoy the kids. Yep. Without all the responsibility yeah, it's again. it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who wants responsibility again? Right. Yeah. <laughs> there is responsibility. Oh, for sure. But yeah, identity is a thing going forward. Yeah. Do you guys have, do you and Denise have any dreams or things you'd like to do as you approach being empty nesters? Well, I think that's what we're working out now. Yeah, kind of figuring it out. Yeah, because it is a lot more freedom and uh, and we get closer to retirement and all those things things of you know do we retire you know right what what's the what's the godly way forward for that mm. so yeah we're still working that out yeah that's fun yeah through your 30 plus years of marriage are there any things that stand out that have been especially formative for you or maybe well, that have changed you in some way by being married because I'm so newly married. You are. I'm trying to learn. Yeah. Well, we keep learning. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a really hard question. What's formative? I think, um, yeah, I, I suppose discovering that who you're married, you're married to, you know, like that's it. Yeah. And you've got to, you've got to work with that and love the person you're with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's very important. I mean, children become such a big part of it. Yeah, I think. And, and, and forming roles unintentionally, as in uh, whether, you know, the husband goes out to work and the wife becomes the house mum or, or mm-hmm. other way around or whatever. Right. Yeah, roles are, are developed as you go without even thinking, I think. Yeah, it just sort of happens. Yeah, I suppose. Some, sometimes you've got to talk about it, but I think often things just happen. Mm. You know, someone likes the washing up and 
Right. Yeah. You just kind of oh, fall into it. place. <laughs> right. No one likes it. <laughs> yeah. Do you prefer dishes or laundry? Oh, dishes any day. Yeah. Yeah. Dishes. I love dishes. I don't mind folding clothes. Do you? Oh, I hate it. But I don't mind dishes either, really. <laughs> It's just if there's a huge pile of dishes, one, that gets a little One thing that really but... stresses me out. Well, one thing I love is categorization. Oh, yeah? Oh, I love making things in categories. <laughs> I just love it. But categorizing laundry, oh, it, 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 it's a stress, you know? <laughs> like, who owns this shirt? Right. Like, oh, oh yeah. that's, that's a decision. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that is funny. <laughs> it's like when I, my most stressful thing to do in the world is probably to go shoe shopping or shopping for some item of clothing. I just really, yeah, I just I can't do it. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Yeah, I wondered too. <laughs> I think fear of making a wrong decision. Mm. Um, I don't know. I like doing. Do you like shopping for bicycle things? Ah, oh, yeah. That's fun, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love dreaming about. I yeah, I can just look at bikes and enjoy their the beauty of them and the mechanics and yeah you know it's like a man in a in a hardware shop you know right um i think i'm being gender descriptive again sorry i'm sure there's many <laughs> ladies out there who love a hardware shop of course uh, but uh yeah bikes are good mm. yeah did you ever ride motorbikes at all uh when i was young uh mainly out of just pragmatically i think i mm. i they were cheap cheaper right. than owning a car so i rode one for about two years Maybe three. Had a couple of accidents, which were exciting. Yeah. Um, I think you did too. Didn't I you? did. Yeah, yeah. You, you came off worse Pretty than me. Pretty big one, yeah. Oh, no, sorry about that. No, it I was mean, worth it. What's that? It was worth it. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Oh, okay. Absolutely it was. Oh, okay. That was such a great trip. Okay. All right. I haven't heard the story. But... Oh, really? Yeah, my dad and I went all the way to Alaska. Okay. And we camped every single night. Oh, sounds and awesome. It was amazing, yeah. I think uh, when I interview you for our podcast, yeah, you, that's going to be oh, a story. I'll tell you, yeah. That would be wonderful to hear. Now, I remember um, once I hit a sheep and I remember flying through the air like Superman <laughs> and I just, that was okay. I came off a few bruises. And but one time, about a month before we got married, mm. I hit an oil slick and uh, popped my shoulder out. Ah. Like it was sticking out. Yeah. The, the, it was awful, and um, I think when Denise came and saw me in hospital, yeah, she thought, "Who am I marrying?" <laughs> I, right. looked, I didn't look good. Oh man! And uh, yeah, still got shoulder pain, but but yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. yeah. And um, but that was kind of the end of it. You think? Yeah, not didn't really choose to not ride a bike anymore. Just sort of fizzled out. Yeah, just fizzled out. Yeah. Yeah. We were always more into dirt bikes when okay. I was younger because yep. we lived in the country always. Yeah. And so it was yeah, quite a, fun. it was a lot different than, because yep. I see guys riding around in Sydney and it's not legal to go in between cars like it is here in the States. Okay. Like, because oh, okay. I'm just blown away by how much they'll just how zig, they do. zigzag yep. and go, you know. Yeah, they're allowed to the go streams. up through the, the, in between cars yeah. at traffic lights and stuff. I think it's allowed in some states, but most I, states don't allow it. Oh, well, I did but, that on a push bike. Oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, man. <laughs> so I'm very careful it's, on my bike. Yeah. It's so crazy. I'm just imagining driving here on a motorcycle, I think, 
it would be fun to be yes. able to zigzag and stuff like that. But I also think there's just so much. You got to be. There's careful. so many people here. Yes. This is the most populated place I've ever lived. Sydney. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It it is it is pretty crazy, and driving in Sydney is pretty scary. But um, you know, I was just in Istanbul, and I thought, man, it's or Tirana in Albania, but but Istanbul is another another level. I bet. Yeah, it's 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 insane. But people yeah. seem to do it and just do it well. Do they drive on the left side? Yeah, whatever side we don't. Your side. Oh, okay, the right side. <laughs> gotcha. Nice. <laughs> it seems like more of the world drives on that side. Yeah, yeah, you've got it right. You guys are still punk rock like Britain. Yep. Keeping only a few of us left. Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about Australia being part of the Commonwealth? Well, you don't really think about it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you don't really think about it. Uh, I, I think as a white person, there's that silly term again, they secretly sort of like it, I think. Mm. I, I sort of secretly like the Queen, not the Queen, the King. Right. Um, it's funny, I, I, I see the monarchy, because, you know, the, our head of state is actually King Charles III, which is really weird. Yeah. You know, really weird. And you think, why? Yeah. <laughs> but I, the reason I like it is because I like the fact that our, the, the person ultimately in charge of our country is not from our country. It's like we're, we're trusting in something beyond ourselves. Hmm. And that's sort of, an, to me, it's a parallel to, to, to that we're not in control. That there is a something above us in control. And mm. for me, that's God. Right. Uh, you know, I I dread having a president <laughs> in, in the same form that other countries have. Yeah. That there's a, a power above the people. Mm. Like a, uh, we we have three tiers of government in Australia. The um, the Senate. The uh, what's the other one? Uh, you know where all the ministers are. The judge? No, no, or no. the no. courts? No, the lower house. Oh, okay. Uh, which is made up of you know representatives from all the regions. The upper house, which is the Senate. Okay. And then above that is our Governor General, who was appointed by the King. Gotcha. Who, who has no real power. Interesting. It has no real power. But if we became a republic, people talk about you know that that person would become the president. But I think, well, why not just call them something else that is just as powerless as yeah. the Governor General is? Yeah, I, yeah, it's interesting. I'm slowly learning more about the political system yep. here in Australia because I think they're fairly similar oh, yeah. in the States. You yeah, know, yeah, it's, it's a fairly we've got three branches, yep. the executive, judicial, and then the normal the house of congress the congress which is uh, okay. house of representatives and um, what's the executive is that just that's the president is that it yeah okay we president don't have a... all that stuff yeah and then okay yeah it's a little judicial is the supreme court it seems like it doesn't matter who's running the country though does it like yeah i don't know lately here. it's the public servants who run the country and uh i think uh, they probably just ignore the different politicians that <laughs> they're like a passing parade. Right, yeah. There like, definitely you know, seems to be a deeper thing in control that, uh, yep. you know, the politicians are sort of just the face. Yes. But, yeah. <laughs> yes, anyway. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, nice. So you've been married for 30 plus years. You've got three kids. Mm -hmm. 
And what do you feel? Have you learned anything about the heart of God by being a father? Uh, definitely, I think. I think, um, well, that, that's a bigger question, isn't it? Have I learned it? What, what I've, I, I suppose what I've seen as very important is, is uh, always being there, hmm. uh, not being judgmental but always supporting, always being proud. You know, when someone wins a race, oh, I'm so proud of, you know, I'm so proud of my children, uh, whatever, but just being proud no matter what. Mm. Um, I think that's so valuable. Yeah, and just was... just validating your children. Hopefully I've done it. If they listen to this, they think, what, Dad, you never validated us. <laughs> <laughs> I do now. No, <laughs> I, I think they'd say you do. I've met them all, and so okay, there you go. Based I've on done, what I've seen, I've done a little. You've bit. done a good job. I've done okay. Validating. Um, uh, I suppose what I wish I'd done more was one, one thing I did with with Chris is take him to Spain. We did a bike ride there. Did the mm. Camino de Santiago. Oh, nice. Um, that big pilgrimage thing. So yeah, we, we, I think he was fourteen. Oh, cool. And and I didn't have to do that or take him. Right. It's very easy not to do things. Yeah. Uh, but I'm thinking, no, there's, there's, there's no such thing as next year. Like if you don't mm. do it now, you won't. Right. And I th- probably wish I'd done more of those type of things because they're, they're what they remember. Yeah. And that special time of going camping. And I, I think as, especially these days, once the children hit 14 or 15, society rips them away from you. Mm. And... Church rips them away from you. Right. And I think that's probably one, I don't know how you stop that, uh, but, but spending really quality time. in Your children are given to you to enjoy, mm. not just to care for, but just to enjoy. Yeah. And, you know, do those sporting matches, do those camping trips. Just, just don't go to elders meetings, you know. <laughs> don't, don't. Don't get involved too much in other stuff. Right. Don't be afraid to enjoy them. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, we, we did, but right. But that's a battle to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many things fighting for our attention. Yes. And... I, I think it's a fight. Yeah. Literally. And it's a continual fight. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. if you don't fight it, you're going to lose. Right. Um, especially if you're a capable person. People um, see that and... Get you to do things. Yeah. 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 Is that, that just because other people are busy doesn't mean you have to be. Right. That's a good it's yeah. a good word. Because yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's part of also just the I don't know, there's such a hustle and bustle culture yes. prevalent, especially in the Western world, I think. Yep. In a lot of really business driven societies, you know, yeah, where yeah. busyness is a virtue. Yeah. In some ways. But it, it in the other, what do you call it, um, majority world, I think is the correct term. Right. Uh, it's, that's not there, but they struggle because they have to work so much often. Yeah. You know, it's, it's difficult to survive. Yeah, there's a degree of so they, they don't. They like, lose time because they just have to work. Yeah, there's yeah. not the sort of casual no. living yes. that we get to experience so easily. Yes. Yeah. But uh, time. <laughs> right. Time, man. Yeah. Man. So 
Do you know off the top of head, off of your head, uh, how many countries you've been to? Uh, it's about 30, I suppose. Wow. I'm not quite sure. And you guys lived in Africa. Yeah, in Ivory Coast. Were you doing mission work there? Yeah, we lived in, actually, we actually lived in South Africa first for a year with YWAM. Oh, okay. Did a, did a DTS, yeah. Discipleship Training School, which was really cool. Oh, that is cool. I know a lot of YWAMers. Yeah, who doesn't? Yeah, yeah we're right. Quite, we're <laughs> part of them. We're all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a really positive year. Oh, good. You know, just traveling around. How old were you when you did that? Uh, we were just newly married. We actually didn't know what to do with ourselves. We, we, um, we did how you should do things. We finished Bible college. We didn't know what to do. Uh-huh. We just said, oh, let's go there. And nice. we just did it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so was did it without too much thinking. And same thing when we went to Ivory Coast, we didn't do too much thinking. Just, oh, there's a healthy team there. WEC seems a good mission. Yeah. And so we just... It's an amazing how things work out like that, where I think so often we overthink and try to make sure all the parameters line up perfectly. We miss out on beautiful opportunities yeah. that we could have had if we just were willing to... Yeah. Take the risk and not necessarily sort open, it all out beforehand. Yeah. There's an open door. Yeah. You know, why not? Right. And, and often when we we do calculate things and get it right, as we, you know, we spend one or two years calculating, mm. it doesn't work out anyhow sometimes. Right. Yeah. yeah and you, sometimes yeah. you can just get your hopes and expectations so high, yeah. they're guaranteed to be let down. <laughs> so it, there's no guarantee. Yeah. In many ways, Africa didn't work out. You know, we um, we came home from that, mm. uh, and uh, my mum had cancer, so we moved to Tamworth to take help take care of her. Mm. And uh, Ivory Coast went into civil war, so we couldn't go back. Oh wow! So, you know, all that all that preparation, yeah, had had uh, you know wasn't useful straight away. Mm. So. You know, but you've seen it. Do you think you've seen it be redeemed in a number of ways? Oh, yes, many Just ways. The learning, yeah, hundred, hundred ways. Mm. You know, some of what we did there was useful too. You know, we yeah. left, left left seeds there, uh, but just experiences you have to help others. Yeah, it is enormous. Mm. You know, having to learn another language and help people to do that. Helping people prepare to do things—it's in many ways it's very hard to train people how to fix a car unless you can fix cars, right? You know, like, yeah, isn't it? Like or whatever. Of course, yeah. How long were you guys there? Uh, we were in two years in France learning French. Oh, okay. So we worked in churches there and two years in Ivory Coast. Mm. And you were officially a part of WEC. Yeah. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a big team there at that time. And. WEC missionaries, are they responsible for fundraising? Yes. All of their support? Yes, so it's classically known as a faith mission. Okay. Um, CT started, he started with, in China, with a guy called Hudson Taylor. Oh, yeah. Uh, who started China Inland Mission, hmm. which became OMF. Uh, and so he, yeah, that sort of mold came into WEC, that idea of you need to raise your own support. Mm-hmm. So we're supported largely now by individuals, and uh, I do part-time work. Uh, yeah, and we 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 are quite uh, what's the word coy <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in making known our needs. So we don't we're not allowed to solicit for funds. 
within mm. the mission. So we won't put thermometers or we won't put, we won't put an emphasis on finance at all, mm. which some find find difficult, some find releasing. Right. Uh, but that, that's the way it is and it seems to have worked. Yeah. It's, and uh, I, I love how many stories I've heard of missionaries needing to raise a certain amount of funds for a particular trip or project and yep. just seeing the way God yeah, provides. It, it usually happens and it almost in whatever. I, I think a commonality is good networks. Yeah. I think before you start trying to raise funds for things, if someone says to me, oh, how do I create networks? I say, well, you, you use the networks you have. Mm. It's very hard to create networks. Right. And you should have networks. If you don't have networks, maybe you're not the sort of person that should be becoming a missionary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So people will give to establish through your networks and largely because of your character and seeing that you're able to do the job well. And mm. if, if you put that out, uh, yeah. it usually happens. Mm. Uh, and if it doesn't, then you've got to ask those questions. Right. You know, is, you know, is, is there something missing I need to work on? It might be go back to normal life for a few years, develop character and ministry. Mm. Yeah, but it's a long journey for most people. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my sister and brother-in-law and their four kids are in Honduras yes. as missionaries. Yeah. And they had gone there a few years earlier and they went in sort of prepared, you know, they didn't they hadn't learned the language entirely. Okay. Um but they were also sort of led to believe that they were going to be supported a little more by yes. the folks that invited them. Ah. And yeah, then well, once they got there it was kind of No. They were yeah, they were sort of left high and dry to where it was really unsustainable. And so they ended up having to come back for a while. And they both it was such a hard thing in that season because they felt, you know, that they were called to this place and then That's where expectations are very important. Yeah. And we often go through that with people. What are expectations? Yeah. And what's realities? And what are people thinking? The people you're going to, what, what's their attitude towards Westerners and money and all that sort of thing? Mm. Um, what we found in the, in, um, the thing I found a bit disappointing in my last trip to the Balkans was there was a real um, ministry dependency on finance from overseas. Many, many of the local ministries were dependent on foreign money, mm. which wasn't good. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it's almost an attitude amongst pastors to to seek for funding for their ministry from overseas. Right. This is Indigenous like Albanian or Macedonian. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I think there's more value if you can stimulate something locally. Well, I think, or... Yeah, I think, yeah, the local... Community should support the local ministry. Right. I think it's probably in the Bible somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it makes sense too, just in the to sort of feel like some sort of some sort of participation. I think. I think so. Through and, generosity, and also just from reproducibility. Mm. If you want a ministry, you want churches to reproduce each other and to grow. You want you want the kingdom to grow. If it's not sustainable where it is it's mm. not going to happen yeah man and, um, that's hard though 
Right. Yeah. Much easier <laughs> said got, than done. You got to feed the family. Yeah. No, no doubt. <laughs> oh. Well, awesome, Richard. We've been talking for a little over 30 minutes wow. now. I'm curious if you have any final thoughts for the lovely listeners of Oops, I Miss Church. Uh, or if you want to read another poem, you can. Um, uh, anything. Anything. It's all very uh, open. Oh, goodness. Put me on pause. Too many too many thoughts. No, I know. You're good. Yeah. I I sometimes am too broad, I realize. But yeah. I yeah. kind of like to let conversations flow and see where they go, you yeah. know? Yeah, I don't think I have any other thoughts. Um, come no. and see me. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ride a bike? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Link up with me, and I'd love to um, engage with you, whether it's poetry or, or bike riding. Uh, you know, if you're a bike rider and want to backpack, not bike pack across Australia, let me know. <laughs> oh, heck yeah, that'd be so fun. I, yeah, it really is. You know, one thing I noticed about bike packing, and I talked about this warm showers network. Yeah. And uh, we were staying with people who are largely, they weren't um, Christians, most of them, but people were almost desperate for fellowship. Mm. And um, we just saw it desperate to be hospitable. Yeah. And so I, I've actually started, I started writing a book recently. It's one of my books that oh, I started writing. You cool. Know, number 67. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the title would be something like Open Up Your Heart. Mm. And it's a book about, originally it was about hospitality. I thought, man, I've learned so much about this because of experiencing people's hospitality. Mm. And I started to realise the whole notion of hospitality is not just not just having a nice house or even knowing how to welcome people into your house, but it's how to be someone with an open heart. Mm. And if you're sitting at a bus stop and there's someone next to you, Open up your heart and, and yeah. don't be closed off because that's where that's that's hospitality is right. welcoming someone into your world and seeing what God has given you to speak into their life or offer or help. Mm. It's such an important thing. And I, I'm I'm preaching to myself, you know. No, yeah. I, I, you know, when I get on a plane, I don't want to talk to the person next to me, I want to, you know, enjoy the food, or, right? Or, or <laughs> sometimes yeah. I do, but. I go, no, Richard, open up your heart. And, and it's it's tricky too because a lot of times a lot of times people don't want no. to be bothered or talked to, you know. And, yeah, that's okay. But it's, yeah. That's okay. But I like to. that idea of being hospitable with your heart and not just limiting it to your home, you know, because I think yep. there is a way to practice hospitality in just the way you carry yourself and yes i i always desire to be approachable that's the word you know yeah there's a bike shop in australia whose um slogan is the world's most approachable bike shop uh-huh. and i love it yeah i thought that's really good it I makes think, me go there yeah right <laughs> <laughs> it's good marketing it is yeah got me <laughs> oh i like that yeah. man well Richard, tell everybody where they can find your podcast. Okay. Just search for Reach Space WEC. Okay. On any... Any of them, right? Any of them will find it. Or uh, go to WEC.com.au and there's a podcast place. Nice. Uh, but that that's easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this with me, Richard. It's so fun to talk to you and uh, 
I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's so enjoyable. I'm so glad to have had Chris. He was my first Australian guest. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At least the, in Australia. Go to the Aussies. Yeah. Uh, and, and tell me, I, I got... I said this once to an American friend, one of them on the um, on the trip to Albania. I said, "Are you getting any Chrissy presents?" Yeah, uh, and I don't think we say that. No, it's so funny. <laughs> she laughed her head off. It was so funny. So I wish all my American listeners that you get some good Chrissy presents. <laughs> I'll leave that one with you. That's good. Thank you, Richard, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. been listening to Oops I Missed Church, the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Leverton. Go and love your enemy.